Welcome to Cyberbytes, the podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Sethi, and today we have with us Nathan Burke, the CMO of Exonius. Nathan will walk us through his journey of being the first US employee to help build one of the fastest growing security companies and the challenges along the way. Great to have you on the show. Um, let's dive into it then. So um, talk us through your journey then. How did you get into marketing? Yeah. How did I get into marketing? Uh, it's never a straight path, is it? Um, so I actually went to school. Uh, I went to college for marketing and very quickly I realized, uh-oh, I don't like this at all. I'm not really learning anything. And I then was taking a sociology course. I'm like, this is it. I want to learn how to how people behave in groups. And so I went down that path and I was actually going to go for a PhD in sociology. And uh, this is right around the time when, when 9-11 happened. And so um, I had taught myself how to program uh, just as a, as a job on the side, not a lot of uh, good sociology jobs uh, as a co-op. So I, I taught myself how to code uh, and I, instead of going for my PhD, decided, all right, I'm going to do this for a little while. And for about six or seven years, I was a programmer. Um, but then I realized the person that cares about how people act in groups is not very good as a solo programmer just sitting in a room by himself. And I then went to my first startup and I fell in love immediately. And so that was my first, I, after that one, it was the only one that failed. So we, uh, we had funding and that funding got taken away. Very important lesson. If it's not in the bank, it doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> and that was during the, the financial crisis. And right after that, I went to my first cybersecurity startup and uh, I just decided this is where I wanna be. So that was uh, CloudLock, which got acquired by Cisco. And since then, I've done five startups, three Israeli cybersecurity startups. Um, so the last one, Hexadite, we only existed for a year and a half before Microsoft acquired us. And then right after that, I went to where I am today, which is Exonius. And I was the first US employee. We now have around 650 employees. We're one of the fastest growing cybersecurity startups in history. And, uh, and that's what got me to now. Yeah, well, you're quite the lucky charm then, five startups, um, or, or did really well, except one. <laughs> except one, and I, I was glad to get it out of the way on the first one. Yeah, good, good. Um, how did you how did you become part of Exonius then? So first employee in the US, that's, that's big. How did that happen? Yeah, so when Hexadite Hexa got acquired by Microsoft, uh, I told Microsoft I would stay with them for four months just to help with the transition. And in that four months, I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do. And like anyone with half an engineering mind, I came up with my list of requirements. And I, I said, all right, first is I want a company that's going after a big problem that's only getting worse, right? Something that is, is obviously a problem that a lot of people have. Uh, I've been at companies where you have a great technology, but you're evangelizing the problem and trying to convince someone that they have a problem then you have to convince them it's worth solving. Then you have to convince them it's worth solving with your thing, right? I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go after a problem that everybody had. The second is I wanted the solution, whatever that was, to be doing it in an easy way, right? I don't want to go after something where, yeah, I know I've got this problem, but I got to put an agent on every device or I've got to do some kind of really crazy implementation that's going to take six months. Didn't want to do that. And then the third one is I had to love the founders. Um, if you're, if you've done this a bunch of times, you know, how chaotic it is, you know, how 
you're going to work crazy hours and you're going to like really make it part of your identity. And if you're not in love with the people around you, then you're just going to be frustrated all the time. So I had those three requirements and I looked at a bunch of companies and I had a few things that were like, I like a little bit, but nothing like really lit me on fire. And then the seed investor that invested in Hexadite called me. I'll never forget. I remember exactly where I was. I was in a parking lot at an outlet mall in Lake George, New York. That's not important, but it's how clearly and vividly I remember this. And he said, I need you to take a look at this company that we just funded. He's like, I'm looking in my crystal ball right now and you're going to make a lot of money. I'm like, oh, whatever. Okay, I'll talk to him. So I get back and I get on a call and like any uh, obsessed marketing person, I had a PowerPoint deck ready to go. And I said, on the first call, before I say anything, I'm going to show you how I approach building marketing at uh, an early stage cybersecurity startup. And I went through my deck and uh, we talked for a little bit. Again, this is before they had a product. And I said, listen, we haven't got into what you're building or any of that. I just wanted to show you how I approach it. I'm headed down to the Microsoft conference next week. So let's pick this up the week after. And um, so Dean, who's the CEO and co-founder said, I've got a better idea. Me and one of my co-founders are going to get up in a plane. We're going to fly down to meet you in Orlando for breakfast. And we're going to make you an offer. Now, this is again, before product, before anything, like, wow, this guy is bold. And that's exactly what they did. So we've got a picture I've got somewhere stored where it's uh, the three of us at 5.30 a.m. in Orlando, Florida. They made me an offer and I just said, let's do this. And I never looked back. That's amazing. Can you share a picture of that? I'd love to put that in, in the oh, comments. Oh, for sure. Yeah? Yeah, I'll absolutely do that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. This is a great story. Um, what was it about what was it about the founders other than obviously their eagerness and trusting you and faith in you to come and see you? Um, what was it about them that just immediately you thought that this is the company that you're going to make to what it is? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things. So first is, and this is probably, you know, them pitching to my ego, but the fact that they were going after marketing first meant a lot to me because, mm. you know, in a lot of cases I would start when the product was ready and they're like, now take this thing to market. Right, which is which is fine. But the thing I loved about this, and it's a luxury I've never had before, and I love this, is I got to have conversations with people that would never pick up my call if I had a product to sell. So I, I kind of knew that early on that I'd be able to be part of building the thing instead of being part of painting the picture of what it already is. And so I think that that was a big piece of it. But really it was just like the confidence in, in the energy, right? One of the first things that they said to me was. Um, we're going to build a formidable company and we need a formidable CMO. Like, wow. All right. Um, but it was, it was just this, th there's a huge problem. Everyone you'll talk to will admit they have this problem and we've got a way that to solve it that no one's done before. And we mm -hmm. know this is going to work. And I talked to a lot of people and, and it was true. It was all right. So let me just understand this. Here's the problem. Do you have it? Yes, I do. If, if we were to build the thing and we had this approach, would it work? Well, I mean, yeah, in theory it would. And if we solved that problem, would you want to buy the thing that solved it? Well, yeah. And in every conversation I had. So I think the, the confidence was obvious. I think mm -hmm. you knew that these were two incredibly smart guys, but also you just, you knew there was the ambition there. So I think it was the, the package of all those things together that just made me say, what do I have to lose? If this thing fails, okay, 
um, I'll do something else, but like, I don't think it's gonna. And I think that's, that might be, you know, I don't want to brag, but I think one of the things that I'm pretty good at is, is judging character and also just mm-hmm. judging, you know, the people that you should be able to trust and, and knowing who to follow. I think I've been pretty good at that. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of that comes with experience um, as, as well. So, no, that's amazing. And I love that you said that when they were thinking of building the team, they thought about marketing. Um, because I, I talk to a lot of marketers, and, and that's one of the things they always point out, that marketing comes after sales. Marketing comes, it's like an afterthought. So right. um, I, I know I know to a marketer, that's that's music, music to their ears. Yeah, and that's changing, right? Because mm-hmm. I have seen that a lot lately. I. So we have, uh, you know, several investors and I talk to a lot of their portfolio companies when they're looking at, at bringing in marketing and it is, it's happening earlier and earlier. I think now companies are realizing that waiting till the thing is ready is not the time mm-hmm. to do it instead, uh, as early as you possibly can. And, um, I've had several conversations the last few weeks with really early stage companies that are saying, I want to hire marketing first while they're in development of the product. And I think it's just the industry has caught up. And they're realizing that you don't want to retrofit your story. Mm. Yeah, love that. Awesome. So, so tell us about Exonius then. What, what do you guys do? Yeah, so I'm going to give you the high level and I'm going to actually tell you what it means. Um, and then I'll give you a reason why I did it in that order. So we like to say at the highest level that Exonius helps organizations control complexity. Like pretty, pretty high level, I admit. Uh, but let me tell you why. So. Complexity is inevitable. In fact, it's the second law of thermodynamics, right? Um, Anything gets more complex over time. And that's a truth for the universe, but it's also what you can see in any organization anywhere, right? You add more people, those people have more devices, those devices have more software, they access more SaaS applications, they all have vulnerabilities. And so then you buy more tools to manage and secure all of those things. But then you look at the fragmentation. So you've got one set of tools for Windows devices and one for mobile and one for Mac and other things for cloud. And and the list goes on and on. And mm-hmm. it's that fragmentation that makes it incredibly hard for anyone to first just understand what they have. And then second, how do you manage it? How do you secure it? How do you monitor it for changes? And and that fragmentation is where you see a lot of the headaches that, that IT and security teams see today. And, and like I said, Back when I was talking in the early days, when talking about the approach, you've got all the data. It just lives in different places. So that's kind of where we come in by connecting to hundreds of different data sources. Exonius aggregates and correlates all that information about assets to show you what you have, to uncover that risk, and then let customers decide what to do anytime an asset needs attention, whether that's through automation or integration with another tool. So that's that's kind of what we do. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And what, what's kind of the target audience? What, what's the target audience for you? I can imagine this being applicable in so many different cases, though. That's exactly right. And so when we started off, we were going purely after security. Um, mm-hmm. And we were, and we needed to call the thing something because there was no category, nothing existed. And we called it um, cybersecurity asset management, right? So asset management is an IT thing, but we were, we were kind of solving the asset management challenges, but for security. And then over time, we started seeing a lot of different groups that were interested, right? So GRC, IT, infrastructure, um, incident response team. So it definitely started out with security, but now we're talking to CIOs as much as we're talking to CISOs and and the list goes on and on. So really, 
the question to me is if you're able to know about everything you have, right? Every user, device, application, software, vulnerability, if you just knew all of those and how they intersect, what could you do differently than you were able to do when you woke up this morning? And it's a different answer for uh, an infrastructure team or an audit team or a whatever, but like they all have value that they can get out of knowing that. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so I, I know that there's a very interesting story behind that poster. Um, what's, what's, what's the story? Would you like to tell us about the RSAC? Oh, this, uh, yeah, the innovation sandbox. Yeah, sure. Um, all right. <laughs> So I, I, I talk about this all the time uh, and, I, and no one's going to get me to stop. So uh, if you don't know the RSA Innovation Sandbox, it's the biggest competition for um, for startups in cybersecurity. And uh, it crowns one winner a year as the most innovative company of that year. Um, it's been something that I'd always and every one of those cybersecurity companies try to get into, never got in. I tried over and over and over again. And then with Exonius in 2019, we got in. Now here's what it, what happens. Um, they pick, and I think it was 10, if I'm not mistaken, there's 10 companies. You have exactly three minutes on stage with 10 slides to, to show why you're the most innovative company of the year. You have to talk about, you know, the scope of the problem, the innovation, uh, the team <laughs> that can do it, all of that stuff. Um, and you've got three minutes, then judges ask you questions. They pick two finalists and then one winner. Now, the way I approached it was, all right, I, I've got to have a story that's really something that stands out that people will remember. And I worked with our CEO on exactly that story and we spent a ton of time on it. And um, I'm like, all right, here you go. This is going to be, you know, yours to win. And, uh, and I go to San Francisco a day early just because I wanted to make sure everything was there. Uh, I got a call the night before at around midnight. And this was Dean saying, and he sent me a video. They're de-icing the wing on my plane. I'm delayed. And then a few minutes later, it's, they're taking us off the plane. Then it's, the flight is canceled. And then <laughs> after that, it's, I'm not going to be there in time to do the rehearsal. You're going to have to do it. And I, and I remember that so well because I was at our investors uh, party the night before. And one of our investors came up to me. He's like, why are you, like, you don't seem nervous at all. I'm like, why would I be nervous? my work is done here. I don't have to present anything. This is, this is all up to Dina. So I just get to sit back and, and watch. I was wrong. Um, and, and so that night I'm a, a chronic over preparer. So that night I just stood in front of a mirror until I nailed it exactly to three minutes. Um, I had to make it my own cause there was like some anecdotes that were for him and I, you know, I had to change it to me. And uh, I get there in the morning for the rehearsal bomb. I mean, it was terrible. Uh, my timing was off. I didn't know where it, it was just bad. And, uh, and I, so I started to walk off the stage and the woman that was running it said, whoa, whoa, whoa where, where are you going? You've got 15 minutes. You can do this as many times as you want. I said, absolutely not. I'm not doing that again <laughs> because that's the worst I think I'm ever going to do. So it can only get better from here. And I, and so I left. Um, so get there and the room is packed. There's like 3000 people. And then they, they stream it live and, uh, I get up, do it. There was one point where I paused and I lost my place, but I, I like, I recovered. Like, I think I did an okay job, sat down, blood pressure goes down. Okay, good. And then, uh, watch everybody else. And then they have like an hour break. It's the longest hour of your life <laughs> and you're giving demos at the booth and, and 
then they bring everybody back and then they announce the two finalists they call our name but they butchered the name so bad i didn't know they were, they were said exonius they said something else i mean it's a, it's our fault for having a name like that i get it uh and i just didn't realize they said us and so i get up there and and i said did you say exonius and he's like oh i'm sorry i screwed that up. go back and sit down again so i went all the way off the stage sat down and he calls me back again and so i'm like all right one of two finalists we got second place not bad uh and then we won and um, all time slowed down and uh, I, I just really couldn't believe it. And right as, as I got off the stage, I got a phone call and it was someone um, that was uh, like a, an exec assistant for a Fortune 500 CISO who said, we just saw your presentation. We have to meet right now. And <laughs> so we met and immediately had a POC the next week with him. It, it was, so people ask it, what is the value of, of winning the, the innovation sandbox? And there it is right there. Like a minute mm -hmm. later, we had a, a POC with a fortune 500 that would not have happened otherwise. And so, um, so yeah, that's, that's my story for the innovation sandbox. Uh, uh, I was lucky I was there the night before. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, I didn't expect to be, uh, pitch hitting, but it worked out. Yeah. Awesome. Would you say that's, that's one of like the biggest achievements you've had in your career at Exonius? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. This is this is an amazing story. Um, I've I've heard it a couple of times before, but I I, I had to hear it. Um, this is this is amazing. <laughs> no, awesome. Um, okay, cool. And then, so I know I I follow you a lot on LinkedIn as well. So I I know the kind of content that you guys produce, and I I know, I know you're the mastermind behind it. So what makes marketing? And, and how do you guys market differently to other security vendors out there? Um, and, and I'm referring to um, the Simone um, content that you guys produced. Tell us a little bit about that, because I think that's really powerful. Yeah. So in general, I, I think it's pretty simple what our approach is, which is when you see people doing cut and paste marketing and doing the same thing over and over, run the other way. And I think that's what you see a lot of in cybersecurity. It's military grade this, and it's really, you know, showing the hacker in the hoodie, talking about fear. If you just bought my thing, you wouldn't have been breached, right? So yeah. I think no one really likes that, but it's really easy to go the other way. And I think the other thing that you don't see a lot, and, and I'm sure this will change, but you don't see companies highlighting stories of people. It's all about the tech. It's all about the, the their software that they're selling instead of showing the kind of humans behind the, the hoodie, right? And so we decided very quickly that we wanted to go that other way. And like I said before, um, when we were coming up with that theme around controlling complexity, it's one thing to come up with a really high level theme. The other is how do you tell it? Because just saying we control complexity, that means nothing to anyone. But how can we use that as our umbrella theme and how do we get someone to tell that story? And, and so um, we were trying to figure out who is someone that embodies that idea, someone that's overcome adversity, someone that no matter what's thrown at them, they're able to come out on the other end. And, you know, for a week or two, we were, when we were thinking this through, I was super annoying because anyone I would talk to, I'm like, all right, we're, we got this theme. Who would be, who would be good? Like who in the public eye is the person that embodies this? And I'd ask everyone. And my example every single time was Simone Biles. So Simone Biles, one of the greatest athletes in, in history. Um, she grew up a foster kid. 
uh, she, you know, uh, the whole world watcher at the Tokyo Olympics when she had to um, bow out due to uh, her just not being able to know where she was when she was in the air. Um, but then, you know, she came back and I think she's just one of those people that nothing phases her. She just figures it out. And so I use that example and, and no one could give me a better example. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to reach out. There's no way they'll get back to me, but I'm going to reach out. Um, and so they got back to me. This is okay. Why would Simone want to work with a cybersecurity company? I got an idea. Let's put a video together. And I had a bunch of us get together on video and explain why we wanted to do it. And, uh, and they said, yes. And so we did a two year, um, uh, brand agreement with Simone. So we've done a bunch of videos, which you should definitely check out. Um, they're on, uh, exonius.com slash plus. And, um, it's been great. And, and one of the things I didn't mention at front up front is, so how, how do we know that this is worth it? Why did we do this in the first place? So when we started, what was 18 ish months ago, we did an aided recall survey. Um, we were trying to go after the commercial audience instead of just like top level enterprise. And so we wanted to see what our awareness was like. And the first time we did an, an aided recall survey, we were at 9% or a better way of putting it is 91% of our target market had no idea who we were. So we got to change that. And that's, that's, that's really the precursor of the story I just told. Why do we do this? 18 months later, after doing all of the, um, the videos, the events, all of the um, speaking stuff with Simone, we went from 9% to 27%. I've never heard of that. Um, and I, I talked to a lot of, of um, CMOs and, and CEOs at even you know bigger established companies. And uh, so far, I've never heard of anyone being able to do uh, 9% to 27% in 18 months. It just it doesn't even seem to make sense, but it really has worked for us. Can't tell you how many times I talked to someone that um, became a customer because they saw this or became an employee because they mm -hmm. saw some of our work with Simone. Um, and one of the greatest things that we've been able to do with her is, um, so giving back and, and charity is a big part of everything we do. She works with a, a nonprofit called Friends of the Children. They provide professional mentors to children in uh, foster care. And so we were able to make a donation to Friends of the Children on behalf of her, and they were able to open a Houston chapter because of it. And so um, so it's not only good for us and good for Simone, but we were also able to do some good in the world too. That's amazing. Um, and again, very, very powerful. What advice would you have for marketers that, that are in the cybersecurity space, <clears throat> sorry, um, in terms of producing content in, in terms of that messaging um, and the kind of marketing that they can do or the kind of marketing that is that how the trend is shifting, I guess. Yeah, it's a good one. I'm going to first give some anti-advice, then I'll try to give some real advice. The anti-advice is don't be intimidated by the tech. I think that's a, a big thing that we all suffer from. We are not chief information security officers. And therefore, I think it's just easier to, re to resort to like ambulance chasing and and saying just buy our stuff. Um, but what I often do is put it in your own terms. Like imagine that someone is selling you a marketing thing, right? Would this work for you? Um, and and I really do think that understanding your audience is 
it, it's cliche and it seems obvious, but it just doesn't happen, right? If you're able to really understand what is the problem that you're solving instead of what are the features that you're throwing at them, if you really understand what is their day-to-day -day like, imagine, or, or not imagine, but recognize that this morning they woke up, the lights came on, they had breakfast with their family, they went to work, after work, they went home. They got home, they had dinner with their family, they watched TV, they did whatever, right? They did all of that without your product. And tomorrow it's gonna be the same. Don't pretend that your product is gonna solve all of their problems because that's not how they think about it. If you're really good at this, your guiding principle is, how do I make my target audience's life suck a little bit less at work? I don't like the, let's just say that this is the most brilliant product ever. It will solve all of your problems, uh, make you better looking, uh, give you a six pack. Like people fall victim to that and, and fall in love with their own stuff. But just remember that life went on without your product and it's going to tomorrow. So you have to figure out how to earn the attention and mm -hmm. earn the ability to show them that this is a thing that can, you know, in, improve their life 2%. And reverse engineer your entire strategy based on that. And then the other part is, especially when it comes to writing content, um, I'm, I'm, I've got pretty high standards on this and, and uh, I might even be kind of a pain uh, depending on who you ask. But when it comes to content, always ask yourself, what is the reader? What is the viewer? What is my target audience actually going to learn by this and take away from it? Because just writing something about your features or just writing about zero trust or, or like, you know, you name a use case in cybersecurity, they know this stuff. What's new about it. What did they learn? What value did they give them? Because there's just so much noise out there, but that's a huge opportunity because mm -hmm. if you can produce something that just adds value, then you're seen as a resource instead of someone that's just trying to sell something at every turn. Um, and I, I don't think we do that a lot in cybersecurity. Uh, it's kind of the online version of a product sheet rather than something that is giving them new information that is useful to them. Yeah, awesome, awesome. I'm, I'm sure everyone that hears that will take something from it. Um, so that that's great. Um, so I know obviously you started at Exonius um, as the number one employee in the US and you built everything marketing. You built your own team from, from ground zero. Um, what are some of your hiring strategies and what are some of your um, leadership um, abilities that have kind of helped you get here? Yeah, so my hiring profile for at least my functional leads, my, my direct reports is, um, I call it... Uh, architects that can also swing a hammer, right? I think in a lot of cases, you end up finding someone that is a leader of a, of a team that isn't very hands-on and especially early days, they have to be. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that I look at that for, sorry, the way I look for that in a hiring profile is someone that has seen really good, but they just know in the back of their minds that if it were them building that function, they would do it differently and they know exactly what they do. So it's, it's someone that's got like a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, but it's, they've seen a system, they've seen processes, they've seen how someone else has done it, but mm -hmm. they want their unique fingerprint on how they would build it. Um, and that's, that's worked for me so far. Um, because I really do want that blend of someone that can do the work, but also wants to lead. 
And, and for me, like that works really, really well. And then in terms of just how I manage or lead, I think my entire job is to give my team what they need to succeed. And, and that's hard because it's a lot of things like, you know, there are some things that are my, my baby and some things like content, like I just said, where I have like really high standards, but at this stage, I've got to fire myself from more and more things. So it really is all about making sure that they have what they need um, to succeed and to manage their team. So it's, it's changed a lot early days. It's just everybody running and um, bend over backwards to get it done. But now the name of the game is specialize efficiency and that sort of thing. So it's a big transition. Mm -hmm. and, and how how are you managing that because obviously the company has grown multifold in in the last so many years since you've joined how are you managing that transition now yeah i mean you have to change at every stage right so like just just now we had a, a like a functional lead offsite where we came to the conclusion we have to be better at campaign planning so how do we do that how do we change from let's just do one-off things and do lots of them to we're only going to do five themes this year. And if it doesn't fit one of them, we're not doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty radical change, but it makes a lot of sense because I think up until this point, actually probably earlier, I'm probably too late to even say this, but we got to where we were because we out activityed everyone else, right? We just did more stuff, but at some stage, you just can't do that. You can't do a thousand events, right? But you can do 115 that are perfect and really well executed, mm -hmm. but that changes how you approach everything. It changes how you measure it. It changes how you do retrospectives. It changes how you evaluate whether it was successful. So this is now a, all right, let's reset. Let's be way more deliberate about what we do and what we don't do. And let's be very clear about our criteria for, will we ever do this again? Um, and so it's, it's a big change, but that's where we are today. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and just before you go, one last question for you, Nathan, uh, what advice would you give to listeners, um, fellow marketers that want to become a CMO one day? Yeah. So, uh, let me think here. I think the first thing is, um, nobody ever reaches out and asks for advice or help. Like it very, very rarely. Uh, I've probably been on I don't know, a dozen podcasts and done interviews this year. And I always say this, that one thing no one ever does is just reach out and say, I want advice on this, or I want help on this from someone that's done it. Take advantage of people that have made all of this mistakes on the way to getting to where they are so that you can avoid some of them. Because I think what you'll find is most CMOs or, or most, you know, directors, senior directors, whatever, um, will give you that 30 minutes. It, it's easy for them. Um, but nobody really asks. So I, I think that's the first one. And just so simple, but no one ever does it mm -hmm. is if there's, let's say that you want to get into brand, right? Let's say this is exactly what I want to be. I want to be on the creative side, but I don't know what the path is there. I don't know who's done it. Reach out to someone and just asking that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think being more resourceful is also something that you'll need if you want to get there anyway. Um, I, I don't think there's any more linear path of just like you're an apprentice marketer and then you're this marketer and then it just goes up the ladder. Like that's not how the world works anymore. So to me, the first step and the number one value is being resourceful. So do that, reach out, ask for help, ask for advice, demonstrate that you're the kind of person that is both ambitious, but also takes advantage of their resources instead of waiting for someone to promote them. Mm 
Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on board, uh, Nathan. I I really enjoyed speaking to you. I know we can go on for hours and hours and speak. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for being here. Um, I will post uh, all of the links and the content uh, in the comments below. All right. Thank you so much. This was fun. <laughs> Cheers.